so glad you're here tonight, and we're so glad that people stayed online. We were not on, I need to apologize to those online. Last week, we thought we were online, and, and I was even talking to you last week during our deacon ordination, but found out there was a glitch in our system, so we apologize for that. Tonight, we're still in our series on the book of John, and so if you have a copy of God's Word, look with us to the book of John, chapter 10. The book of John, chapter 10, and we'll begin reading with verse 22. John, who is writing this book, tells us at the end of the book why he's writing it. He is writing this book so that we will know who Jesus is and we would know how to be saved. He tells us. And so he gives us a lot of different information that Matthew, Mark, and Luke, and John does not, Matthew, Mark, and Luke does not give us. John gives us more information. And there are a lot of different stories. And so it's always interesting as you're reading these accounts of of John as he's telling us things that Matthew, Mark, and Luke did not tell us about because there was so much information about our Lord Jesus. You couldn't uh, write everything. And so we pick up the story in the book of John, chapter 10. He's been confronted by the Pharisees. He's been confronted by the scribes. He's been confronted by the religious leaders, and they are upset with him because they believe he is saying he is the Messiah, and they do not believe he's the Messiah. And so he's been giving uh, images of like the good shepherd. He's been saying the word I am. He's been saying he is God and they're getting angry with him. And we pick up the story in John chapter 10, verse 22. At that time, the feast of dedication took place at Jerusalem. It was winter and Jesus was walking in the temple in the portico of Solomon. The Jews then gathered around him and they were saying to him, how long will you keep us in suspense? If you are the Christ, tell us plainly. Jesus answered them, I told you, and you do not believe. The works that I do in my Father's name, these testify of me. But you do not believe because you are not of my sheep. My sheep hear my voice, and I know them, and they follow me. And I will give eternal life to them, and they will never perish, and no one will snatch them out of my hand. My Father, who has given them to me, is greater than all, and no one is able to snatch them out of the Father's hand. Let's go, Lord, in prayer. Father, tonight, as we look at your passage that you've given to us, be our teacher, be our guide. Because, Father, in this passage is a great, incredible truth that if we would embrace, it would actually change the way we live. We pray now for your guidance. In Jesus' name, amen. Years ago, I told the story about Mickey Cohen. Mickey Cohen was a renowned gangster of the 1940s. Cohen was that kind of person. He wanted to be around celebrities. And he never missed an opportunity to be around those celebrities. He wanted people to notice him. In fact, he took part in Life Magazine. Many of you remember Life Magazine. Did a pictorial of American gangsters. And he, he was in there. On another occasion, he granted an interview with Mike Wallace. And during that interview, Cohen pronounced, I have killed no man that in the first place didn't deserve killing by the standards of our way of life. In other words, yeah, I've killed people, 
but they deserved it. That's what he said. Well, in 1949, one of Cohen's associate, a wire, uh, wiretapper by the name of Jim Valls, attended a Billy Graham crusade, and he gave his life to Christ. And he went to Cohen to tell him about the change in his life. He shared with him the good news. Cohen invited him and his wife to come to their, his mansion to tell him more about this encounter with Jesus. And so he did. And he told him, I'm giving up my life of crime. I'm giving up. In fact, uh, everything I've stolen, about $15,000 of electronic equipment, he gave back. Later on, he even refused a car that Cohen was going to give to him because he was having a tough time financially. But he said, I will not take anything acquired illegally. Voss wrote a book entitled Why I Quit Syndicated Crime. actually became a movie in the 1950s. But Cohen was amazed by this. And he began to investigate Billy Graham. And he noticed Billy Graham was always around celebrities. And so he wanted to meet Billy Graham. And Cohen went to one of the crusades heard the message, in fact, raised his hand when he said, would you want to give your life to Christ? Didn't take because later on he ended up in prison for tax evasion. But after he got out of jail, Bill Jones, a Christian layman in Los Angeles, wanted to talk to Cohen about giving his life to Christ, made an appointment, and told him about Christ, and told him everything he, about that, how God loved him, and would he give his life to Christ. And Cohen said a prayer to give his life to Christ. And word spread. This famous gangster, Mickey Cohen, is now a Christian. But there was a problem. His life never changed. In fact, he went from being a gangster that he thought, well, I'll just be a nice gangster. He lost contact with Jones, and Jones finally confronted him and said, I thought you gave your life to Christ. You can't be associating with, with these other gangsters. And, and this is what Cohen said. He said, Jones, you never told me that I had to give up my career. You never told me I had to give up my friends. I mean, there are Christian movie stars, Christian athletes, Christian businessmen. So what's the matter with being a Christian gangster? If I have to give all that up, if that's what Christianity is all about, count me out. And he walked away. Here's the question. Was Mickey Cohen ever saved in the first place? Or did he lose his salvation? Tonight, we're going to answer a question, a key doctrine of our Baptist faith. It goes by many names. It goes by the name Perseverance of the Saints. Uh, some call it the security of the believer. Uh, some call it once saved, always saved. Whatever you call it, the idea is the same, that once you give your life to Christ, once you are saved, you can never lose it. And this doctrine is taught throughout the Word of God, but we're going to look at one particular place where Jesus really addressed it. And I'm always asked this question. This is one of the top questions I'm asked in life. Can you lose your salvation? And usually someone has a story. Well, I know one person. Well, I don't care what you know, who you know. Let's see what God says. That's how you answer the question. And remember what the purpose of the book of John. John says in John 20, verse 31, but these things I have written that you may believe that Jesus is the Christ, the Son of God, and believing you may have life in his name. John wants us to give our life to Christ, and that is the purpose. So let's look at this passage. It begins in verse 22. He tells us what's taken place. At that time, the Feast of the Dedication took place at Jerusalem. This was a holiday, very special holidays to the Jews. 
have to go back in history to understand. There was this Greek general named Antiochus Epiphanes. There are many ways you can say the name. That's how I was taught to say the name. He was really the king of Syria. But he loved Greeks, and he loved to make everything Greek about himself. And in 170 uh, B.C., he attacked Jerusalem. He killed 80,000 Jews. He took 80,000 Jews captive, took eight, uh, 1,800 talents of gold from the temple. He passed a law in Jerusalem you could not read or contain the, the law. He passed a law you could not be circumcised. He took the temple and turned it into a brothel. And then finally, the worst thing he did, Antiochus Epiphanes took a pig into the temple and sacrificed it in the Holy of Holies. Now, you can imagine what this did. Well, there were some men, freedom fighters, named Judas Maccabeus, and he and his brothers decided to fight them. And in 164, they won their freedom, their independence, and they purified the temple so they could worship again. And during this time, they called it the Feast of Dedication. And they made it a national holiday. And one of the things they would do, they, they, they would light candles. It was eight days of cleaning the temple. And so they would light a candle each day for eight days. By the way, today the Jews still celebrate this. It's called Hanukkah. And so here Jesus is at that location, the Feast of the Dedication. And so he comes to Solomon's porch. And they come to him to ask him a question. How long will you keep us in suspense? If you're the Christ, tell us plainly. Now, there's a reason John tells us the, the, the time of this. Because this is a political question to the Jews. In their mind, the Messiah was going to be a political leader. They were looking for another Judas Maccabeus. Jesus, are you the Messiah? Are, are you going to run out the Romans? Are you going to be the military leader? We want to know. I mean, if you're in the military leader, let us know so we can follow you. They are still trying to figure out who Jesus is. This is a day, this celebration was a day of freedom. And so they're asking that kind of question, a political question. Are you the Messiah that's going to help us get rid of the Romans? Jesus responds, verse 25. I told you, and you do not believe the works that I do in my Father's name, these testify of me. But you do not believe because you are not my sheep. Jesus said, I've been telling you. You're not listening. I've been telling you who I am, but you're not hearing me. And here's the reason you're not hearing me. He says, because you are not my sheep. And then he says, my sheep hear my voice, verse 27, and I know them and they follow me and I give eternal life to them and they will never perish and no one will snatch them out of my hand. My father who has given them to me is greater than all and no one is able to snatch them out of my father's hand. Jesus said, you know who I am. You've seen my works. I do the works of my father. And the reason you're not really believing this is you're not my sheep. And so you're not really hearing me spiritually. And in that setting, Jesus gives to us one of the many passages, the Bible, that talks about we can be assured of our salvation. And so look at what he says. He said, our security is based on the gift of God. Our security is based on the gift of God. Verse 28, I give eternal life. I give. That's a gift. A gift is not earned. If you earn it, it's not a gift. 
By the way, if you take it back, it's not a gift. That's a loan. Jesus says, I give eternal life. Salvation is a gift of faith. Yes, it involves the intellect. It involves the emotion. It involves the will. We do not work for it. We do not earn it. And listen, we do not deserve it. In fact, Jesus said, and we looked at the passage already in the book of John, chapter 6, verse 37, all that the Father gives to me will come to me, and the one who comes to me I will by no means cast out. Again, the idea of giving. He went on to say in verse 39, this is the will of the Father who sent me, that all he has given me I should lose nothing, but should raise it up at the last day. Jesus says, I give. This is a gift. If I have 100 sheep, I'm not going to lose any of them. It's a gift. Your salvation, my salvation, is a gift of our God. Now, please understand. Usually when this conversation comes up, we're not talking about someone who just said yes to a bunch of questions and they had no idea what they were talking about. We're not talking about someone who raised their hand in a meeting because everyone else was raising their hands. We're not talking about someone who felt guilty of their sins or maybe even sorry for their sins, but they really didn't give their life to Christ. We're not even talking about someone who thought, well, I need to get baptized because that might make me feel better. We're not talking about that. We're not talking about someone who says to us, well, I'm saved. We're not talking about that. We're talking about someone who is saved, a genuine conversion experience coming to Jesus in a personal way by repenting of their sins. That's what we're talking about. And that is a gift. Now think about this. If salvation is a gift, that's what the Bible teaches, you cannot lose it by works. It's illogical. Losing one's salvation means you are saved by works. Okay? Follow the logic. If you believe a person can be saved today and be lost tomorrow, then what you're saying is that this person was saved because they were worthy. But something in their life is worth saving. They earned it. And if you say someone can be saved, lose their salvation, then you are saying they lost their salvation because something they did made them unworthy. Either way, you're saying salvation is by works and not by grace. It's a gift. But the Bible says it's a gift. Titus chapter 3, verse 5. Not by works of righteousness which we have done, but according to his mercy, he saves us. I am not saved by works. I am not saved because of who I am. I am saved only by the grace of my God. That's the doctrine of eternal security. And that is for God's people who give their life in a personal way to God. Salvation is with saved people. That means a relationship with God. And look at verse 27 again. Jesus says, my sheep hear my voice and I know them and they follow me. Jesus says, I know them. Back in verse 14, he says, I am the good shepherd, and I know my sheep, and I am known by my sheep. 
Jesus says, I have a personal relationship with these believers. Remember in Matthew chapter 7, one of the scariest verses in the Bible, Matthew 7 verse 23, Jesus said one day people are going to be standing before God and God's going to say to them, depart from me, I never knew you. Remember that passage? Found in Matthew chapter 7 verse 23. Scary verse. But did you notice what Jesus didn't say? Jesus never said, I knew you at one time, but I don't know you now. He said, I never knew you. And by the way, that, in that word, I never knew you, that word based on the word know, means in the Hebrew language, a relationship. It means intimacy. Jesus said, I have never had a personal relationship with you. He goes on in verse 7, 27, he says, and they follow me. You see, if you truly give your life to Christ, if you are following him by accepting this gift, you're going to follow him. You're going to obey him. If you really follow Christ, if you really believe in him, there will always be an outward proof of your inward faith. Listen, sheep do not act like goats. They live like sheep. Believers live like believers. There's an old expression I heard many, many, many years ago. An evangelist said, the faith that fizzles at the finish was faulty from the first. Listen, if someone doesn't hold out, they were never saved in the first place. I mean, John writes in 1 John 2, 19, he says, they went out from us, but they were not of us. For if they had been of us, they would have continued with us. But they went out that they might be made manifest that none of them were of us. John is saying, hey, we got some people in the church. They're leaving the church, but they're not of us because if they were of us, they would never leave. That's what he's saying. Jesus said, I am giving you a gift. That's how we know we can have eternal salvation because it is a gift from God. It's a great gift. He said, I want you to know that you receive a gift. In other words, if you have it, you never lose it. And if you lose it, you never had it. Salvation is not based on what you do for Christ. Salvation is based on what Christ did for you. It's a gift. You know, in the Bible, it talks about salvation. It compares it to adoption. Romans chapter 8, Galatians chapter 4, Ephesians chapter 1. No one earns an adoption. An adoption is always a gift. Eternal life is not a prize you achieve. It is a gift you receive. Again, you didn't earn it by being good, and you can't lose it by being bad. How are you saved? You're saved by grace. How are you safe? You're safe by grace. How are you secure? You're secure by the grace of God. If you go back and look at this verse, Everything Jesus is saying is in the, it's called the present tense. It means right now. He says, I will give them eternal life. He didn't say that. He said, I give them eternal life. The moment you come to Christ, you receive it. It is a gift. Not something you get when you die. When you come to Christ, you receive it at that moment. So Jesus said in John chapter 3, verse 36, he who believes in the Son has, present tense, everlasting life. It happens immediately. You see what this means? All we're doing when we give our life to Christ, God is offering us a gift of salvation. And we can accept it or we can reject it. 
but it's a gift from God. He doesn't say you got to go earn it. All the other religions of the world, I've said it many times, all the other religions of the world can be summed up with, with the word do, do this, do this, do this, do this, do this. Christianity can be summed up by the word done. It's been done for you. All we do is receive it. And if it's a gift, then we cannot lose it by works. That is illogical. Secondly, our security is based on the greatness of God. Our security is based on the greatness of God. Did you see what he said in verse 28? These are the words of our Lord. I will give them eternal life to them, and they will never perish. Okay, that's a strong phrase. They will never perish. And no one will snatch them out of my hand. My Father has given them to me as greater than all, and no one is able to snatch them out of the Father's hand. Here's what Jesus is saying. Our security is based on the greatness of God. Our security is not based on our strength. It's not about can we hold on. It's based on God's strength. Can he hold on to us? And Jesus said, verse 29 is a very powerful verse. It's it's a double negative. He says, no one, absolutely no one, can snatch them out of my hands and my Father's hands. Verse 28, neither, no one can snatch. The word snatch means by force. No one can pull them out of my hands or my Father's hand. So so it's kind of like this. Imagine the keys is me. That's Jesus. He's holding on. Now imagine someone else coming up here and putting their hands on my hand like this. That's what Jesus is saying. I am secure in Jesus' hands. And not only that, on top of that, the Father's hands. So how is it possible for anyone to snatch us out of the hand? It's it's impossible. You cannot be removed. And those words are very strong words. No one is stronger than God. So the only thing that can get us out of the hands of God and Jesus is something or someone more powerful than Jesus and God. Who's that? Satan? No. He's the defeated foe. The world? No. The world's not more powerful than God or Jesus. Ourselves? I've heard that. Well, we can just walk away. You can't because he's holding on to us. Well, what if I deny him? Well, he won't care because he's going to hold on to you. Imagine. I have a five-year-old granddaughter. Her name is Hadley. I got pictures. Uh, Imagine we go to the Grand Canyon, and she's on the edge, and and she falls, and she's hanging on. There's a cliff there. And I reach down, and I say, Hadley, grab my hand. And she grabs my hand. I'm pulling her up. Halfway up, she says, ah, Papa, let go. Do I let go? Why not? She asked me to let go. She wants to be let go. So if I'm a good papa, I should let her go, right? Absolutely not. Why not? Because I, once she gave me her hand, I'm not letting go of her hand because if I let go of her hand, she's going to perish. Well, maybe she starts fighting me. Maybe she starts yelling at me, Dad, Papa, I hate you. I hate you. I don't care. I'm not going to let go. Maybe she's scratching and biting me. I don't care. I'm not going to let go. Why? Because I love her, and I don't want her to perish. Now, if a sinful man can think those thoughts, what must a holy God think? When we put our hand in the hands of God, in the hands of Jesus, and we hold on, 
what can take us out of his hands? There is nothing. You see, our security is not based on us holding on to God. Our security is based on God holding on to us. That's the gift. Here's the gift. Once we accept the gift, now he's holding on to us. 1 Peter chapter 1. Christ from the dead, he said, Blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, who according to his great mercy has caused us to be born again to the living hope through the resurrection of Jesus Christ from the dead to obtain an inheritance which is imperishable and undefiled and will not fade away, reserved in heaven for you who are protected by the power of God. Peter says the same thing. Our salvation is protected by the power of God. God saves us, and God keeps us by his power. That's salvation. It's not about us. It's about him. He holds on to us. And I still have people come up and say, well, I think you can lose your salvation. Well, how? Tell me how. I mean, Logically, I can think, well, is it quantity of sin? Is there a certain number of sin we commit, and then all of a sudden we lose our salvation? Is it 10? Is it 50? Is it 1,000? And if it is, why didn't God tell us? You know, I, I would tell my children any kind of danger they would face. I think if there was a certain number, God would tell us. There's no number. Or maybe it's a quality of sin. Maybe there's a certain sin out there. Well, what is it? God never said it. Because we cannot lose our salvation. Now, I, I know what some people are thinking. So we can do whatever we want to. We can sin. Absolutely not. You know why? The Bible's clear. Book of Romans. He said, we are not to sin so that grace may abound. The Bible's clear. You know, it, it says, you know, those whom God loves, he chastises, he disciplines as his children. If you are a believer and you start sinning, God is going to discipline you here on earth. That's what the Bible says. You're not going to get away with it. And I can tell you the pattern. The pattern, number one, is internal. All of a sudden, God will convict you. You're convicted, oh, I shouldn't do this, I shouldn't do this, I shouldn't do this. And if you keep saying no, then God, from internal, will do the external. He will expose your sin to the world. He will show the world what you're doing because you're his child and he will discipline you. And the Bible even says in the book of 1 Corinthians, we read this passage all the time at the Lord's Supper, and if you still don't listen, then God says, eternal, I'll just take you home. Listen, there is discipline for the child of God who continues to sin, and you know it's of God. There's no doubt in your mind, God is punishing me because of, of my sin, and God wants you to repent. But this does not give us a license to sin. It's the opposite. The child of God who sins, God will discipline. God will get their attention. Here's a way to think about it. There are two key words, relationship and fellowship, two different words. Relationship never changes. I have two children. They will always be my children, James and Jenna, always be my children. Fellowship changes. Fellowship is, is how we respond, how we uh, communicate. So, I, you know, I talk to my kids every day. We have a strong fellowship. Every day we talk. They're, back, they're my children. That never changes. Fellowship can change. So, so imagine, listen, my daughter, she, she calls me tonight, and she said, hey, Dad, you know, just, I just need to tell you something. Uh, I never liked you. 
Never liked you, Dad. Your, your, your jokes are corny. Well, that hurts. And she said, Dad, there's something I need you to know. I'm an Auburn fan. Okay, that's the worst thing I can think of. Now, I can tell you right now, the fellowship has been broken, okay? It's bad enough she lives in Texas. No. <laughs> if she said, I mean, is she still my daughter? Yes. She hasn't changed that. The fellowship's been broken. The prodigal son went to a far country. Was he still the son of the father? Yes. But he was in a pig pen. He came to his senses, came back to his father. Your relationship never changes. If you're a child of the king, that will never change. Your fellowship changes every day. Every day of your life, it changes. Do you spend time with God? Do you repent of your sins? Do you stay away from sin? That's how you make your fellowship strong. But if you don't, God will discipline you. But the relationship never changes. Now, there's a verse, there's a chapter in the book of Hebrews people use. And I'm just, let me just tell you, if you look at the words, he says, those who have been enlightened... If you know what I'm talking about. He does not use the word justification, sanctification, new birth. He uses the word enlightened, which means intellectual knowledge. He's not talking about losing salvation in Hebrews chapter 6. Because it is impossible. In fact, Jesus said in verse 28, they will never perish. Never so I tell people, they say, well, I, don't, I still don't believe that. I read them this passage, and I say, then you're calling Jesus a liar. Because that's what he said. No one can snatch them out of my hands, and they will never perish, those sheep that belong to me. That's why I believe it. Now, does that mean we don't mess up? No, we're going to mess up. You know, we, we still sin, we still stumble, we still mess up, we still stagger, maybe for a season, but we don't lose our salvation because God is continually calling us. Years ago, when they were building the Golden Gate Bridge, there was a rule of thumb that one person would die for every million dollars spent. It was very expensive. 23 men died at the beginning of that project as they were building the Golden Gate Bridge. The chief engineer was Joseph Strauss, and he invested hundreds of thousands of dollars. Now, this is the Depression dollars to improve equipment and safety. And finally, in 1936, Strauss invented something. It cost $130,000, Depression money, which no one had ever done before. He built a net, kind of like a circus net, suspended under the bridge. I mean, that safety net extended 10 feet wider than the bridge and, and 15 feet further out than the road length. All of a sudden, now, while the men were working, they knew if they fell, they would fall in the net, and they wouldn't die. And all of a sudden, they started working harder and faster. They could do their job. And the Golden Gate Bridgeman said, now we have assurance. And because they had assurance, they could do the work. God wants us to have assurance. Dwight L. Moody the evangelist said, I have never seen an effective Christian who did not have the assurance of his salvation. If you want to go as a Christian, 
you need to be assured you're saved. What about you tonight? Are you assured you're saved? Are you assured there's been that time you asked Christ in your life, you repented of your sins, admitted, God, I can't save myself, and you believe that Jesus died on the cross, rose on the third day, that you confess, God, I give you everything, and I accept that gift, that gift you offered me. Have you done that? If not, will you do it tonight? Those online, if you would like to do that, just text the word today at 270-398-5005. But if you're here tonight, you've never done that, you need to do it tonight. Because once you do, you have the assurance of your salvation. Would you stand and bow your heads? Our Father, I thank you so much based on your word that we don't hope we're saved, we can know that we're saved. That, Father, we don't have to live with uncertainty and we don't have to live with doubt because, Father, if we did, there would never be peace in our life. Father, if we thought we would lose our salvation, that we could never have joy. Father, if we thought we could lose our salvation, we would always live in fear. And yet you tell us not to have any of those emotions. So, Father, I thank you for this gift that you offer us, a gift of salvation. And Father, tonight, if there's anyone here who's never given their life to you in a personal way, Father, let them embrace you. Let them accept that gift, the gift of eternal life. And Father, it's not based on us, but it's based on you. In Jesus' name we pray, amen.